Hey, welcome back to Jazz United. This is Nate Chenet, Editorial Director at WBGO. And this is Greg Bryant, host of Jazz After Hours on WBGO. Jazz United is a show about the music in all of its complexities. And hey, listen, we just won an award. The Jazz Journalists Association has pronounced Jazz United Podcast of the Year in the 2021 JJA Awards. Um, we are so honored. Uh, man, what, what, a, what a wonderful thing. As I've said before, folks, we don't do this for awards, but when we hear from you and we hear these reflections and now this commendation, it just reinforces uh, that maybe we're doing some good for the music community. So on behalf of, of, of myself, I just want to say thanks to everybody that's been checking us out. And on behalf of myself as a member of the International Jazz Critics Cabal, I'm just happy that we got our hooks into you, Greg. You're one of us now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um but speaking of speaking of one of us, um, this is an episode that is is quite personal for me, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all about identity and community. As you may know, the month of May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And WBGO has been celebrating this occasion with uh, a whole range of programming. What we thought we'd do with this episode of the show is is talk about the Asian American experience within Black American music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge topic. We're certainly not going to do it the full measure of justice, but we thought we could get to some interesting places today. That's right. That's right. As we've talked about offline, um, you know, communities within communities and, and being able to put the spotlight on um folks that deserve wider recognition and perspectives uh, that need to be uh, championed and uh, embraced. That's part of what we do here. Yeah. One of those artists deserving of that wider attention is the wonderful violinist Tomoko Omura. And you heard a bit of her arrangement of the Japanese children's song Tori Ansei at the top of this episode. And she will be joining us in the second half of this podcast. Uh, We can't wait to talk with her about her experience within the music and and what she's been doing to bring her heritage into dialogue with this improvised music tradition. But before we do that, uh, let's talk about some of the ins and outs of that experience, Greg. We start with the the broad understanding that jazz was, is, and forever shall be Black American music um, at its core. And... Mm-hmm that experience is is fundamental. Within that space, um, Asian American musicians have found their own space, you know, and, and sometimes had to carve it out. And, and so I wondered, you know, as we talk about the place that, that Asian American musicians have in the music, mm-hmm. um, how do you see that, you know, in, in terms of, of um, how it all fits in? Well, this music is uh, a multi-generational open discipline available to anyone, period. Um, you know, it's, there's no crime in acknowledging its origin. But again, I've been particularly moved and encouraged by uh, the Asian American jazz experience uh, because of, again, you know, how it has been learned, how it's been championed, how elements from the Black experience have been integrated uh, mm-hmm. with another unique roots 
uh, folk experience. Um, right. And I first got wind personally of, of the Asian American experience in jazz uh, through a pianist by the name of Toshiko Akiyoshi, who first emerged during you know, the World War II era. But uh, I really want to, you know, not be so broad and, and, and localize this um, because, uh, Nate, you have a very unique experience and um, your family heritage is important, I feel, for some of us to, to further understand uh, and appreciate these contributions. Um, tell me a little bit, if you will, about, you know, growing up in Honolulu and with musical parents. What is your first recollection uh, of this experience? Musically, both my parents were jazz singers. They were mm -hmm. nightclub entertainers. Um, my dad, in particular, had a a career that took him as a you know as a teenager to Tokyo, mm -hmm. uh, where he had a, a career as a as a sort of budding big band singer, um, you know, doing standards and uh, and also some original songs, um, but you know, with full backing of a of an orchestra. Um, so it was really in that sort of um, Frank Sinatra tradition. And in fact, he uh, he introduced Sinatra uh, during the, the chairman's first concert uh, in Japan, his first tour in Japan. And, you know, they they had a, a little bit of a hang. No kidding. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. So, you know, th this was all part of the tradition that I, you know, grew up in. You know, on the one hand, I had this very strong cultural identity. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I hadn't really interrogated it too much until I moved east, you know. And when I, when I got to Philadelphia and was embraced, um, you know, not, not without some, not without some challenging moments, but I really was embraced by the Philadelphia jazz community, which is by and large, uh, an African-American community. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really began to understand the cultural dimensions of that, right. you know, right. and, and what that means. But it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting thing to be a critic in the jazz, you know, in the jazz community, mm -hmm. and not be easily coded as either or. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of um, precedent for the white critic and the black musician. Yes, and I, I've often, I think, been coded in that way, and it mm -hmm. doesn't really jive with how I see myself <laughs> within the music. Mm -hmm. um, and it just speaks to this truth that I think a lot of musicians also experience, which is that. There's just not a lot of there's not a lot of of examples historically for this you know this this zone that Asian American jazz musicians occupy. Right. You know, I, I've had conversations with musicians like Rudrish Mahanthapa and Vijay Iyer about how they're really pioneers by default. You know, um, not having had uh, a previous generation in the music to align themselves with, you know, they're, they're the first Indian Americans to, to really, you know, make that mark. Um, True. So, you know, Greg, you mentioned Toshiko Akiyoshi, um, mm -hmm. she, you know, she is an absolute trailblazer, mm -hmm. you know, to think that she played the Newport Jazz Festival in the 50s, you know, it's really quite something. Um, 
but you know, the, the, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about the, you know, there's such a strong assimilationist impulse. There is a prerequisite, you know, it's like you have to prove first that you really have mastery of, you know, quote unquote, the tradition. Right. Before you are really allowed to then incorporate all of these other elements, you know, from your heritage or from your history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's been changing a little. Yeah. I think we are at a place now where if you have something vital to say and it doesn't involve like being able to like blow giant steps in seven, eight, you know, <laughs> it's, it's okay. Um, How about four, four even. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Enough, enough people have a hard time with four, four. Um, you know, just this idea that there's a valuable perspective in mm-hmm. coming to the table with a different set of cultural signifiers. And I think that's really the common denominator here. We have to have some sort of emotional currency to share, to exchange. That puts us on the even playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when the culture, um, as you've alluded to, is coming to, uh, coming to with, with a certain level of um, respect, but again, that underlying element of emotional drive and passion, I think the walls and the barriers start tumbling down. And I'm seeing that more as well. That's beautifully, beautifully put. You know, we have to acknowledge, we talk about uh, the Asian American experience, quote unquote, as if it is uh, a monolith. And it is so not, Mm. you know, it's one of the most flattening terms. You know, we're talking about cultures that are so different, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and in this country, we don't talk about, uh, we don't talk about like the, the European American experience, you know, we we have a certain understanding that, that Irish and Italian and Czech and Russian, you know, are, are different things. Um, But also, you know, not just culturally, but even just in terms of the way that musicians um, come to the music, you know, there are, there are players who have, you know, various experiences as Asian Americans in this country who, um, you know, maybe foregrounding their heritage, isn't that, isn't, isn't really a part of like their artistic process. You know, I think about someone like, um, you know, like the bassist David Wong or, Mm -hmm. um, Yasushi Nakamura, you know, these, Mm -hmm. these are, these are players who can, can deal on oh, yeah. the level of, you know, of the village vanguard bandstand, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's not necessarily about um about accessing some kind of a, you know, cultural nexus, you know, from their f- family lineage or what have you. It's about just coming correct, you know, to the 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 jazz tradition as we know it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'll never forget seeing uh Fakushi Tanaka at the Village Vanguard with Lou Donaldson. Um, Mm -hmm. and just thinking, man, I need to get my game up because if he knows Philly Joe Jones language (laughs) this well, I don't know if I know any bass players language as well as he knew, you know, Philly Joe's language. And again, like you say, in excellence. Yeah. You know, Greg, as we talk about, um, difference between these communities, I think it's also important to note that the you know, the, the discrimination and, and the, frankly, the oppression that these communities have felt, um, has also been a binding force, you know, Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of solidarity. 
yeah. um, between the Asian American community and the black community, um, you know, historically, but but really we've seen it um, manifested, especially um, over the last year or so during this you know long season of protest. We have, we have. Um, Helen Sung, who just won a Guggenheim uh, Fellowship recently, wrote uh, a tune, a lament for Khalif Browder, that was very uh, indicative of what you're talking about. Um, I was particularly moved as well this summer uh, in the uh, Tarataka Uno assault in Harlem when uh, Jerome, Jerome Jenning, the drummer, and one of his fellow musicians uh, came to his aid uh, to help raise money uh, for his medical expenses. You know, we're in this musical community, but, you know, taking that extra step outside of the bandstand um, to ensure the human experience, uh, that was uh, particularly a moment of brilliance, I thought, uh, this summer. I was very moved by that as well. Um, and, you know, I, I just had a, a really lovely conversation with Jen Shu, the vocalist, composer, and multi-instrumentalist, about her new album, and, and really multimedia project, Zero Grasses, Ritual for the Losses. This was mm -hmm. a, a conversation that, um, that we had for the checkout. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a moment you know, in which we talked about uh, one track on this album, which she titled Lament for Brianna Taylor. Jen actually got permission from People Magazine to, to quote some of Brianna's uh, language, you know, to quote some things that she had said really about her aspirations, you know, what, what she wanted um, out of her life, you know, and, and on this track, Jen sings those words as lyrics, really kind of doing Brianna Taylor the honor of giving her a voice, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a really moving example of, of empathy in music uh, and very, very powerful, I thought. talking about you know showing you know the respect that that is that is appropriate to you know masters across you know all different you know backgrounds uh, particularly you know I was touched when you told me you know how much Amiri Baraka uh, what influence and impact he had on you you know as, as a budding writer and and when I look at Vijay you know the same thing and and with redress with Bunky Green you know I really think there has been again in the Asian American community a serious attempt to make sure, again, that they're they're coming in a way that was respectful of the culture, so that again we would have that overlap and that understanding. And I think um, we're in a really good place, you know, going forward. Uh, what we're learning about our culture, what we're learning about art in 2020 and beyond, uh, I'm really excited to see the new musical offerings uh, coming down the pike. Yeah, same here, man. Let's hear a tune from violinist Tomoko Omura, who will be joining us in a moment. This is her original tune, Tomi's Blues. Tommy's Blues by 
uh, our guest joining us today on uh, Jazz United, Tomoko Omura. We're glad to have you, Tomoko. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you here, Tomoko. And I wanted to start by asking about the tune we just heard. This is dedicated to your late grandmother, who I understand was a really important presence in your life. Yeah, I lived with my grandmother for 18 years of my life, and she was very close to me. And we were sort of similar in a way, personality-wise, very childlike personality. And so when she passed away, I just improvised a melody, and that melody came out. And then I just put it on the paper, and it was 12-bar blues. So I decided to arrange the melody. And um, actually, the whole song is a repetition of this melody. You know, we all have this feeling of like the life can be long and very short at the same time. Grandma had a special energy. I can feel that in the song. <laughs> yes, definitely. Tomoko, um, I'm very interested in um, the folk music tradition that you use in your music. I'm not originally from New York. I'm actually from Nashville, Tennessee, and we have a lot of folk music influence there that uh, has influenced many of our artists. For you growing up outside of Tokyo, uh, in Shizuoka, Japan, mm -hmm. um, what kind of uh, folk music uh, did you hear as a youngster that has influenced uh, your compositions now in the present? Can you share? Sure. Shizuoka has a local folk song. It's called Chakiribushi, which I included in the album Roots. Mm -hmm. And I arranged that um, song for jazz. But I grew up listening to that song. Um, everyone in Shizuoka knows. And um, yeah, that's something my grandma, grandpa, my parents, everyone knows. And it's really easy to relate to each other. You know, it's so interesting to me. Um the decision to incorporate this in the jazz context, I, I, you know, because I, I grew up in a house where, um, you know, my, my grandparents met because they were musicians, actually. Um, my, oh. my grandmother played koto and my grandfather uh, played samiseng. Wow. And so they were, they came together, you know, because of that. But, you know, I, I would not have thought to bring that into a jazz context. And, and I know that your experience in the music, you know, you've played a lot of, you know, in the sort of Stefan Grappelli, Stuff Smith, Joe Venuti style as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I wondered if there was a, if there was a moment for you when you decided, okay, like I really want to, to acknowledge this root system, you know, because I remember when roots came out, like that felt like a light bulb moment for me. And I wonder, I wonder when that light bulb went on for you. Wow. Thank you. Um, well, I recorded my first album, Visions, and that was all my original compositions dedicated to each jazz violin heroes of mine. It was a very personal project. But when I was playing the original compositions uh, in Japan for the release tour, I, I felt that... I want to connect to people more directly. And I thought about the favorite or famous melodies that people already know. And then so I picked up the Chakiribushi and arranged it. And then I play that in my hometown. 
and everyone knew the song and we had sort of special bond that moment and that's when i thought that you know uh, contemporary jazz and folk melodies can combine together and can also bond people who's maybe not only jazz fans you know like my local audience tend to be my my friends or my family's friends who are not typically um, jazz fans you know then i thought i want to connect to them deeper yeah with the music and then i thought that uh the metal it's like playing standards yeah for jazz fans right but but that's true the standards doesn't have to be jazz either. I think the melodies are very strong, so I wanted to incorporate that. I really love uh, your, I'll call it a front line, you know, violin and guitar. It has a really uh, bright sound. I think the first time that I heard that combination was probably uh, Jerry Goodman and John McLaughlin in yes, Mahavishnu. Yes, <laughs> Right, indeed. In uh, Branches Volume 1, the way you did Moonlight in Vermont and you divided the nine, you know, in, in different ways and, and so forth. I'm always interested in uh, bands uh, language. I know you write out very detailed charts probably, but what do you tell musicians apart from what's on the page, um, how to interpret your music? Because you guys clearly have a, a language. I find it's usually the best to let the players do what they think the best. I tend to write the composition thinking who are playing that part. So especially guitar and violin are difficult um, to play together sometimes. So Jeff is very, Jeff Miles um, on the guitar, he's very, very um, patient and very, very caring for the sound. So we've developed this thing together so that melodies are always there. Things like, okay, I have a songs that specifically think in a certain image or concept. I would tell them, like, imagine a UFO just came above you and just taking out to the space or something like that. Like, I would tell, yeah. oh, this is where the shiny bamboos in the forest and then you find a shiny bamboo or something like that. And, and they would just improvise over that thing. I love that. It's, it's a kind of, um, it's an invitation to, to sensory experience. Um, yeah. Like beyond the notes on the page. Yeah. It's more successful for me to picture image in general. So I started doing that yeah. with the band. Tomoko, before you joined us, Greg and I were talking about, um, you know, just the Asian American experience within Black American music, just this this idea of that relationship, you know, culturally. Um, and I wondered if you have any thoughts about how that has evolved or, you know, like, is there a kind of a cultural translation process that, that it has to be navigated? Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think jazz is Black American music uh, originally. But I think it's also influenced by the Western music, right? And then it's just evolving. And now it's combining everything. To me, when I came to New York, everyone was doing their own music. I thought, I used to think jazz is in a certain way. Like I used to 
listen to bebop, hard bop, and post bop. And that's what I should be studying, and that's what I should be playing. But then when I came to New York, everyone was from different places, and they were combining their cultures. You know, some people would criticize that, and that's not jazz, you know. But I don't think that way, and it's um, it's just evol- evolving, and it's combining all the also different people together. It doesn't have to be the maybe typical jazz audience, but also the, it's just widen up the term jazz. I'd like the people to uh, hear some more music uh, from this excellent new project of yours. Uh, the tune I'm thinking of is actually uh, Melancholy of a Crane. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, it's a, based on a Japanese folk tale called Tsuru no Ongaishi. The crane was saved by a man and then uh, appeared as a woman and then she was working for him. The man didn't know it was a crane, but uh, one day he opened the door and there was that crane that he saved a while ago. And then when the crane saw the man, oh, you see my actual form, I have to fly away. have your album Roots, we have Branches Volume 1, and we have Branches Volume 2. Um, what is next in this series? Is there a Volume 3 in the works, or is there another um, expression of, of the root system? <laughs> what can we expect? <laughs> yes, I'm thinking about the next Roots project, and uh, it's, it's going to be Roots project continued. I'm thinking to dive into more taiko rhythm. Taiko is a Japanese drums. It's like a big, gigantic thing that you play with the big sticks. Um, and the taiko is actually bigger than you. So, yeah, it's really a huge sound. It's so athletic, the, the taiko performances. Yeah, it's almost like a dance performance. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kinetic. And, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I, I can't think of an incorporation of, of taiko drumming into the jazz context. Am I missing something? Is this Would this be a, a brand new kind of hybrid? I'm not sure. I, I'm sure there are a lot of jazz drummers who checked out taiko. I'm sure. Like, I think maybe Taishan, I think. Yeah, that, that's that's who I was thinking of. I was like, who would be the person to, to bring in taiko drumming? And I immediately thought of Taishan Sori. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Keep us posted on it. And um, we've got roots, branches, maybe leaves. We'll see. <laughs> Thanks for the idea. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tomoko. Thank you so much. Once again, we want to 
extend a special thank you to Tomoko Omura. Uh, we are now hearing a little bit of her Urashima suite. Greg, it was great to have her on, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was awesome talking to her. Um, what a great uh, legacy of composition already. And she's already got uh, another album in the works, which is pretty hip. Uh, we want to go now, though, to This I Dig, which is a thing that we've been having fun with, tossing around. Just uh, random things, sometimes related to jazz, sometimes not jazz. But I'm curious, uh, what's your pick for the week, Nate? What you got for us? Uh, file this under not jazz. Mm -hmm. um, when we were talking about what to feature this week, uh, I compared notes with our producer, Sarah Kirsten, and and hilariously, we had both picked the same thing, mm. uh, which is an album called The Marfa Tapes. And this comes from the country star Miranda Lambert, along mm -hmm. with the singer-songwriters, her fellow singer-songwriters, Jack Ingram and John Randall. This is a document of a sort of songwriter's uh, retreat that mm -hmm. they did uh, out in Marfa, Texas, under that big open sky. And this is an album that, you know, pairs down to the essentials. And I think she's She's a fabulous songwriter and she's got a marvelous voice and it's really a treat to hear her in this context. And this is Sarah's final episode of Jazz United. We are so sad to see her go uh, and we had to bring her in and hear what she's been digging. She's really been an, a crucial part of this team and uh, we miss her already, to be honest, uh, but we wanted to pause and, and just send her our best salutations and uh, super props. Greg, have you been listening to Miranda Lambert? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's two against one, so I better pay attention. I better pay attention. Speaking of summer camp, uh, the comedian Dave Chappelle has uh, what he calls summer camp every year. And uh, during the pandemic, uh, he has a huge uh, gathering with uh, two of his friends and many guests. And it's been preserved on this new effort that I want to shout out, The Midnight Miracle. Uh, Dave Chappelle, brand new podcast with Talib Kweli and uh, Most Def, now known as uh, Yasin Bey. But uh, man, already I'm intrigued because not only will this be a digital offering, their musings and so forth and musical snippets of different things that they choose, but they're going to press up special uh, vinyl editions of the, these podcasts, something that I've never heard or, or seen before. So these cats are on. I've already heard episode one. Uh, and it's happening. Midnight Miracle from Dave Chappelle and Friends. When can we expect to hear Miranda Lambert on the show? Uh, that would be your call, my friend. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the directive on that. Folks, this is Jazz United with yours truly, Greg Bryant, along with our editorial director at WBGO, Nate Chinin. Our producer is Sarah Kerson. We want to remind you folks, if you've not yet subscribed to us, you can do that. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And the tune you're hearing is composed by Newark's own Wayne Short. It's called United. Woody Shaw plays the version that you're hearing. Uh, you can also check us out at WBGO.org. Thanks for all the support. We'll see you again next time.